just awesome? Is that just cool? And that is basically a great introduction to what we're going to study today. Uh, it's amazing that no matter how far out you go or even theorize what's out there, it's all created. And our God is bigger. Amen? And no matter how microscopic you go, and no matter how far down you go, and I have no clue what up quarks and down quarks are, or even what a quark is, no matter what you see, it's created, and our God is there. Is that just that is just an amazing thing, and it kind of encapsulates what I want you to see about the I am God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Exodus chapter three. We uh, bring our Bibles, and we look at our Bibles, and we teach from the Bible because it's our final authority. It's uh, without error. It, when we read the Bible and when we study it, it is God speaking to us in truth, telling us the t- whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's clear. It tells us what we need, and it's sufficient to make us the kind of people that is that are pleasing to God and that can know God. And so I hope you have your Bibles turned to Exodus 3. So we have a God, as you saw in that video, the God who created all that must be greater than all that you saw in the macro view. And yet he is close as and closer still yet than the micro view. And see, not every religion has that kind of God. Islam has a God who is very big, very sovereign, but he's impersonal. He's not close. He's not near. You fear him, but you don't want to be near him. And yet Hinduism and Buddhism have a God or conceive of God or make God in an image that is very close. In fact, he's so close that he, everything you see is God. God is everything, and God even in is in everything. So he's very close, but that also means you can manipulate, you can control him. And so what makes Christianity unique is the God who says, I am who I am. And we're going to see today that he is very, very big, and yet he's very, very near to us. And I think you will find that encouraging. So last week... We looked at all of Exodus 3, and we got the, the macro view of this chapter and of the God who is the I am who I am. And we saw the big picture. We're going to go micro. We're going to look more in depth at God's name. Now, remember, in Exodus 3, uh, it, it's about Moses and the burning bush. In fact, it became so famous for that, it was called by even Jesus in the Gospels, the bush passage. But the reality is, and Jesus knew this when he said that, the reality is it's not about Moses and it's not really about the bush. It's about the God who reveals himself from the midst of the bush. In fact, it's about the fire that burns, the holy fire presence of God that burns but doesn't consume the thorn bush. In the heart of chapter 3, and here's where we'll spend most of our time, is verses 11 through 22. So let's read, uh, beginning in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. 
And this shall be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What is his character? What is he like? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, and here's the heart of this passage, the heart of the message, the name of God. I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, furthermore, said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, which is literally the I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, literally, the I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying... I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And then he goes on and talks about how he's going to deliver them. But I also want you to turn over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 22. Chapter 5, verse 22. Moses has gone to Egypt. Moses has confronted Pharaoh with the leaders of Israel. And it did not go well, as you know. Pharaoh refused. But that's all right. Because God had already predicted that in chapter 3. God knew that. And so we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 22. Then Moses returned to the Lord, literally the I am, and said, O Lord, meaning just sovereign, notice it's not in caps, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now, why he's upset when he already knew, well, that's because he's just like you and me. We know, but we get upset. Then the Lord, in great patience, then the Lord, literally, then the I am, said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he shall let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of this land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, So here's this further revelation. I am the Lord. Literally, I am the I am. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, As God Almighty, or in Hebrew, or El Shaddai, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, by my name, I am, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, I am the I am, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall 
know that I am the Lord, the I am. I am the I am, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to this land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the I am. All right, so with that context and with those two passages, there's a lot of I am in there. So here's the question we want to answer. What's in a name? What's in the name? What does it mean that I am who I am? And we're going to see that in this name of the I am is everything you ever will need, everything you would ever want. But we have to understand three tensions. So there's these three tensions in this name that can make it hard to understand, but also give us great reasons to praise this great God that we have. So let's dive into this. What's in the name? The first thing that I want you to see is there's a tension between explaining and experiencing the I am God. There is a tension between explaining and experiencing. In other words, we're going to see It's very hard to explain what this name means because ultimately you must experience what this name means. And I'll show you and hopefully you'll see that. So we're going to look, turn back to Exodus 3, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 15, uh, 13 through 15. Now in those verses, God has revealed his name at least three times. Three times to Moses. The difficulty is, what does this mean? And... Listen, don't panic. That doesn't mean God can't be trusted or our Bible's not reliable. God is revealing His name. So what does that mean? He's revealing His character. So if you're going to get your arms and mind around the character of God, it's going to be hard. It's going to be beyond our capacity. So it shouldn't surprise us that when He reveals His name, which reveals His character, that it's going to be hard for us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and our God is so big, He created that whole universe. You think we're going to be able to simply grasp all that He is? No, we're not. And so it's going to be hard. And this is one of the greatest challenges. Uh, So notice in verse 13 through 15, He says, I am who I am. He says, I am has sent sent, uh, sent me to you, and... The Lord, which we're going to see, is translated, I am the God of your Father. So let me make, we're going to do eight observations, kind of show you the difficulty of this, but hopefully help you understand. First thing you want to know is I am, written in Hebrew, has no, Hebrew is written without vowels, okay? They had just consonants. And so if you would look at this word, this name, I am, it comes out to be this. Four letters, okay? Four letters. Y-H-W-H. Okay? No consonants in Hebrew. And uh, sometimes this is called the tetragrammaton. Or am I saying this right? The tetragrammaton. The tetragrammaton. I knew I was going to have problems with that. Which simply means four letters. The names of God. The four letters. Okay? That's how it's written in Hebrew. All right. Second observation. Jewish people, out of respect for the holiness of God, uh, 
substituted other names. So God's name was so holy, God was so holy, and His name revealed His holiness. They were so fearful of taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, from the Ten Commandments, that whenever they would see this in their Hebrew Bibles, instead of saying God's name, they would say the Hebrew for Adonai, which means my Lord. My master. Okay, so out of respect, we're not even going to say the most holy name of God. Instead, we're just going to say, my master. Showing our submission. Showing our fear. He's so great, we cannot even pronounce his name. And what they started doing is, since there was no vowels in this, they started taking the vowels of the of the word for Adonai, and sometimes they would say Elohim, which is Hebrew for just simply God. In the beginning, God, that's Elohim. And so they would take these, these vowels and they would put them in between the consonants and so that when a Hebrew person was reading their Hebrew Bible, they would see the holy name of God, but they'd see the vowels of one of these words, and if, instead of saying the holy name, they would instead say, My Lord, or God, out of reverence for how great God is. Alright, does that make sense? Well, it's true, whether it makes sense or not. That's what they did. Okay? Now, over time, here's what happens. You start playing around with this word, over time and you never pronounce it, and you start adding other vowels, what's going to happen to this word? You're not going to know how to pronounce it. And so to this day, people don't know exactly how to pronounce God's holy name. Third observation. The Jewish practice of combining consonants and vowels resulted in the Hebrew word Yehovah, which... Scholars come to understand as being Yahweh. Did I spell that? Yeah. Y-A... Am I spelling that right? Yeah. Y-A-H. I got my W. Okay? So, as they combine these vowels and, and with these consonants... Most scholars say God see God's name in Hebrew as Yahweh, which simply equals I am. Okay? So that's the third observation. This is how most Bible scholars understand God's name today. In fact, some English translations of the Bible actually use Yahweh. Have you ever seen this in an English Bible translation? You have, if you've used the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible started out by using Yahweh in some places, and in some places they used Lord in small caps. Why they didn't go all the way, I don't know. I wish they would have. Now, it's become the Christian Standard Bible, and they eliminated it completely. But there are some uh, English translations. Let's go to number four. Number four is this. Christians carried over this idea into some of the earliest Bible translations, and here's how they translated it. They translated instead of Yahweh, they translated it as Jehovah. Have you ever seen that in a Bible? Jehovah. 
Okay, you, Yahweh, Jehovah. It's it, they're transliterating. They're taking the Hebrew idea over into English. So William Tyndale started this practice. It's in the King James Bible. But again, sometimes they have Jehovah, like in in this passage that we're looking at, Exodus three. But some, a lot of times they also just use Lord in small caps. Okay. Jehovah. So if you ever heard that, uh, that's the idea. That's a, an English estimation of the name. Number five, most modern English translations of the Bible use Lord in small caps or God in small caps. And I have it in your notes so you can see what it looks like. How many have that in your Bible? Okay, you've seen Lord with small caps. How many have seen God with small caps, right? Have you seen that? So let's do a little experiment. Let's, let's work this out. I've given you three verses in your notes that are from the book of Exodus. And they have this small cap idea indicating to you that this is the holy name of God, I Am. So what I want you to do at your table, work together, read those verses, but translate God's holy name as I am. And uh, find out where you would do that in these verses. Does that make sense? So find the names of God in these three verses. Use your notes so you're looking off the same thing. And find where there are small caps and substitute I am. And then, you know, you can read that to one another. Okay? All right. So, did you figure that out? What What was your impression of substituting I am in there? Any impressions? None? Yawning? Boredom? What do you think? Do what? Yeah, it makes it all the more important. Instead of just zipping past those words, all of a sudden you're like, you know, God says this a lot and it kind of jumps out at you. At least it does for me when I'm reading my Bible. So when I'm reading my Bible, this is what I'm doing. So Exodus 3.15, we would read as, I am the... I am, exactly. In Exodus 23.17, we would read, three times a year all your males shall appear before the... Well, no, the Lord I am. Lord is in small caps. Lord means master. Uh, over here, Lord, Adonai. Lord is in small caps. What is in, well, I'm sorry, Lord is not capitalized. What's in small caps? God. And so you see, instead of putting Lord, Lord, when, when this word Adonai is combined with the holy name, they put God in all caps and read Elohim. Does that make sense? So, okay. Okay. Interesting, interesting. All right. Well, that's why we're working off our notes. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord I am. Okay, Exodus 34, 6. Then the I am passed by in front of him and proclaimed the I am, the I am God. See, now Lord is in small caps. So think about here in this verse, the I am passed by in front of him and proclaimed, I am the I am God. 
So I, I, I'm just wanting you to see that, that your Bible is indicating to you in English, here's this name that is hard to explain, and yet when you begin to understand that it is I am, then it starts coming alive. Number six, the name of Yahweh is sometimes explained. Now, what does this mean? It's explained, scholars explain it as I am who I am. I will be who I will be, a more active, you know, I am is simply I exist. I will be who I will be is, is more dynamic and you'll, I'll reveal myself to you in my actions. And some combine the ideas and say, I am who I will be. I am who I will be. I exist and yet I will reveal more and more of myself to you in what I do. Number seven, this brings us to the best explanation of God's name. It combines being and doing. The best explanation combines being and doing together. So I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. Being, I am and doing. I will be what I will be. My black is out. All right. So what's that mean? What's that mean? Let me help you with that. In revealing his name as the I am who I am, God reminds us of who he is and what he does. So let's go back. Look at, look at Exodus 3, 16 and 17. Look at Exodus 3, 16 and 17. And look at what God tells Moses to say to the Israelites. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, I am. I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am. See, notice how it just starts showing up, even though that is not the, the name. But the name is there. I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17, so I will bring you out. I will bring you out and into a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 16, he says, this is who I am. In verse 17 says, this is therefore what I will do. Because of who I am, I'm going to redeem you. Because of who I am, I'm going to deliver you go to chapter 6. You see the same idea, being and doing. God acts on the basis of who He is, and because of who He is, He does things to glorify Him, and He does things for our good. So look at verses Exodus 2 through 7 again. So here He is, and He's saying, Look, I am the I am. Look at 6 2. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am. The Lord, small caps, which means I am the I am. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, I am, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them. Furthermore, verse 5, now he shifts to, from who he is to what he's going to do. I have heard the groanings of the son of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the I am, and I will bring you out. See, this is who I am. This is what I do, being and doing. 
I am the I am, and I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will also redeem you with an outstretched hands. Verse 7, I will take you for my people, and I will be my God. As a result of what who I am and what I do, as a result of that, you will know that I am the I am, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I know this a lot. But we're talking about God. And here's the thing about God. You're never going to know God until you know who He is and what He does. You have to understand who He is and what He does. Because what He does is a reflection of who He is. And who He is is reflected in what He does. And so all throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you've ever read through the first five books of the Bible, he is constantly saying, I am the I am who brought you out of Egypt. Do you remember seeing that in your Bibles? I am who I am who brought you out, who, who acted, who redeemed you. So I am this great and awesome God, but I also act to deliver you. And so you see these ideas of being and doing. So look in your notes. So there's a tension between explaining and experiencing the I am God. Now, right now you're like, oh, yeah, I, I see the tension. Okay, I'm utterly confused. Why? Because it's hard to explain it. But listen, there's a tension between explaining and experiencing the I am God. You will experience who I am by means of what I do to rescue you by my grace. In other words, he's saying to Moses and he's saying to Israel, listen, you will experience who I am by the exodus out of Egypt. You will you will experience who I am by the mighty ten plagues, by the plundering of the Egyptians, by the parting of the Red Sea, by my glory coming down to dwell in the tabernacle, by the cloud by day and the pillar by night that will guide and protect you, by the manna that will come and appear every morning, by the water that will come out of a rock in the midst of the desert. As I do these things in your time of need, you will grow to understand who I am. And ultimately, you will never understand that until my son comes and declares, I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. All those things that are pictured in the Old Testament, I am. And here's my point, number eight. Ultimately, you will never understand who God is until you enter into a dynamic relationship with him. I can draw this on the board. I could teach you even more Hebrew. We could go into this and read what all the scholars say. But at the end of the day, you will never understand who the I am God is until you enter into a relationship with him by faith. Does that make sense? Now this explains the sign that God gave to Moses. Moses said, look... You know, who am I? And God said, I will be with you, but here's my sign. I will, you will, you will know I am with you when you act in obedience by faith. I will deliver Israel and you will come and worship me at this mountain. In other words, Moses, you're never going to understand that I am the great I am and I am with you until you begin to obey me by faith and step out in obedience. Does this make sense? 
See, some of you, some of us, are struggling in your relationship with God right now. He is very distant. You're not sure if He's real. You're not sure if you believe in Him. You're not sure where you stand in relationship with Him. And if I could just encourage you with this reality, He is who He is. And He wants to reveal Himself to you, but you've got to enter into that relationship with Him by faith. You need to begin reading His Word. You need to begin obeying His Word. You say, well, I don't have all my questions answered. That's okay. You'll never have them all answered. Every time Moses came with an excuse, God basically said, I am. Yeah, but Chris, you don't understand this. And God's saying to you, I am. Yeah, but you don't understand the situation I'm in. God's saying to you, I am who I am, and I will be what I will be in that situation to deliver you. Uh, I, I, I went over this. I will be what you needed me to be because I am who I am. I will do what you need me to do because I am who I am. But do remember this. All that I am... And all that I do is for the fame of my name, not yours or anyone else's. You say, well, what's God going to do? We don't know. But we know that what he'll do will be for your good and his glory and for the fame of his name and not yours. Well, should I trust him? Well, I don't know. He did manna from heaven. He did water out of rocks. He parted the Red Sea. He defeated the greatest world power with ten plagues. I think we should trust him. What do you think? Not only that, but he raised his son from the dead. This is the God we can trust. So that's the tension. It's the tension between explaining it and experiencing it. I hope you've experienced it by entering, experienced him by entering into that. Here's the second tension. The second tension is between knowing and not knowing the I am God. It's the tension between knowing and not knowing the I am God. Uh, Turn back to Exodus 6. Turn back to Exodus 6. Did you see something in Exodus 6 that kind of raised a question? It's kind of interesting. Notice in Exodus 6, look at verse 2. Exodus 6, verse 2. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the I am. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, I am, I did not make myself known to them. Very interesting. That raises a question. Did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know this name or not? There's a tension. Did they know it or did they not know it? Okay, what's going on there? Well, first of all, we need to understand God has progressively revealed His name in the Bible to His people. The very first name of God in the Bible is in Genesis 1.1. And what does Genesis 1.1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word, I had it up here earlier, is Elohim. In the name Elohim, God is revealed as the majestic maker of all things. Majestic maker of all things. Why do I say that? Because Elohim literally means gods. It's plural. 
not because there's more than one God, but because our God is so majestic and so great, He encompasses everything about deity. So the majestic, the God of majesty, the God who created that macro universe we looked at, God, the maker of heaven and earth. So I got that picture of Him having the world in His hands. Then God began to... Reveal And by the way, Elohim, majestic maker, that's the focus of 1 through 11, Pastor Bruce's uh, sermon series right now. The creator, the beginner, the guy who begins, the deity who begins all things. Next, he reveals himself to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's revealed as El Shaddai. And El Shaddai means mountain mover. Or that's how I helping you understand it. El Shaddai means mighty strength, powerful. And Shaddai comes from the root idea of a mountain. The point here is the God who created the mountains can move mountains when they stand in your way. Isn't that good news? And so think about the patriarchs. He took Abraham as a pagan, a pagan worshiper of pagan gods, and he said, hey, I want you, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That's a pretty big mountain to move. Go from pure paganism to the one true God. But he did it. Think about Isaac. Why is Isaac on this planet? Pretty big mountain to move. Abraham and Sarah no longer could have children. They were in their 90s, hundreds. Can't have kids. Pretty, mount, pretty big mountain to move. But El Shaddai comes in and says, look... I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. You're going to have a baby when there can be no baby. All right? Third, in the name Yah... Oh, by the way, and this pretty much covers Genesis 12 to 50. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Then you come to Exodus where we're at, and he reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh. And in the name Yahweh, you have the idea of mercy shower. Someone who keeps the promises made. He's a promise keeper. The promises made to the patriarchs. He's the ever-present redeemer. I will always be there to redeem and deliver you. Ever-present redeemer. Exodus. That's what happened in the Exodus. I am who I am. So you have this... This progressive revelation, Genesis 1 through 11, the majestic maker, Elohim. Genesis 12 through 50, the mountain mover, El Shaddai. And then Exodus to the end of the Bible, all the way into eternity future, God is revealing himself as Yahweh, the great I Am. Now we're covering a lot of ground quickly, but... Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see with that. So you got the mountain picture there. You've got the uh, all the way from the creation of the world to the moving of mountains to the breaking the chains. Now here's number two. Here's what I want you to see. Number two. God is not saying he was never known. God is not saying he was never known by this name Yahweh. He's not saying he was never known by the name Yahweh before the Exodus, but that he was not shown. 
by to be Yahweh by his act of delivering his people. He's not saying I was never known. He's saying I was never shown. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because, listen, this name Yahweh... Okay, gosh, I do that every time, sorry. This name Yahweh, or Lord in small caps, it's found all throughout Genesis, okay? It's found in Genesis 2-4. It's, it's in the second chapter of the Bible. It's found in chapter 3 when the Lord God comes to talk to Adam and Eve. The Lord God, I am God, came and talked to them after they had sinned. The I am God is the one who shut the door of the ark for Noah, if you look in Genesis 7. So, it's not that he wasn't known, it's just that he wasn't shown to be this for the nation of Israel, and it wasn't shown to the world. So, in Genesis, you got God talking to individuals. Ben, I want to talk to you a little bit. Ben Abraham. And then, Ben Abraham has a son. Jim, Isaac, I want to talk to you now a little bit. I got some promises of what I'm going to do. And then Jim, Isaac has uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob, uh, what's your name? John, John Jacob, John Jacob. And he he reveals himself to, to Jacob. And he makes all these promises about a people through which God will bless the peoples of the earth. But nothing's been shown. No one knows about this except Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But along comes Moses, and the I Am God says, Now I'm ready to demonstrate. Now I'm ready to show all peoples the God that I am. And I'm going to do it through the Exodus. And I'm going to keep doing it. And then I'm going to do it through my son. And then I'm going to do it through my people, the church. And then I'm going to do it through my second coming and the final judgment. So this is what's going on. So number three, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to get. Yahweh is the ultimate promise keeper. He's the ultimate promise keeper. Why do I say that? Because all through Exodus, he keeps going back to these promises that he made. And he's like, look. 400 years ago, I made promises to these three men and their families that I would make of them a great nation. And right now you're suffering. And right now you're hurting. And right now you're in bondage. But I, after 400 years, I'm the ultimate promise keeper. I am I am, and I'm going to set you free. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in bondage to some addicting sin. Maybe you're in bondage to an attitude that's tearing up your relationships. Maybe whatever it is, the I am God says, look, I'm a promise keeper. And if you'll put your trust in me, I will set you free. Isn't that good news? I hope so. So he's the ultimate promise keeper and he's the ever-present redeemer. He's the ever-present redeemer. He says... Moses says, well, how do I know I'm going to be with you? Well, because I'm always going to be there. I will be what you need me to be. 
I will do what you need me to do. But understand this, who I am and what I do is for the fame of my name, not yours. That's some powerful stuff. So here's what I want you to see. Number four, I am who I am reminds us there's always a tension. There's always a tension between knowing God, but not knowing him fully. There's always a tension between knowing God and not knowing him fully. We see this in the Apostle Paul. Do you remember his, uh, what he said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12? For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now back then, mirrors were not great modern mirrors like ours. When we look at a mirror, we don't see things dimly. Unfortunately, we see things as they are. But back then, a mirror was a piece of metal that was polished. So it'd be like looking at yourself in the fender of your car, you know, and you're like, oh, it's a little, you ever done that? It's kind of like those carnival mirrors, you know, a little distorted, but you can see who you are. Okay, that's me. It's not Jody. It's me. I'm looking at me. He's saying right now, our understanding of, of the I am God is like looking in your car fender reflection but one day we're going to see him fully face to face now we know in part but then i will know fully just as also i also have been fully known god fully knows us and one day we're going to fully know him because we're going to live in his presence but right now we continue to know more of the I am God. And he's saying, Christy, I will be who I will be. I am who I will be. I am who I will be. I am who I will be. Trust me. Walk with me. Learn more about me. So all through the New Testament, the apostles are constantly saying things like, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Why? Because there's this tension. Do you know the Lord this morning? I hope, but I don't presume, I hope all of you can say, yes, I know him. Can anyone say you know him fully? No, nobody can raise their hand on that. But here's the question. Do you know him more today than you did last week? Do you know him more today than you did last year. But you'll never do that if you're not in His revelation of Himself. But more than that, you won't know more if you don't step out in obedience to obey that revelation. Does that make sense? If you weren't obedient to gather with God's people today, you wouldn't know any of this. You don't have to know everything I'm saying today. But you all should leave knowing more than you did had you not come. Now the question for me and for you is, are we going to live Monday in light of what we learned Sunday? How do I know God's going to be with me this week? God says, well, by the end of the week, you'll see that I have been with you. If you do what? Walk in obedience. Trust me by faith. Isn't that good? I think that's good. All right, so here's the final tension. And, we'll, and basically, the final tension is an outline of the next two weeks, and here it is. It's the tension between the holiness and the love 
of the I am God. It's the tension between the holiness and the love of the I am God. So here's how I explain that. Look at number one. I'll give you this, then we'll, we'll go. I am who I am means I'm large and in charge. That's holiness. I am large and in charge, but I'm also close and caring. That's love. So there's a tension between God being holy and God being loving. And when he says, I am who I am, he's saying two things. I am large and in charge. I created this whole thing, macro. But micro, into the pupil, into the atoms. I am close and caring. How many of you want a God that can control the crazy circumstances of your life? How many of you want a God, though, that is in charge but he's compassionate. That's exactly who we have in our God. So read through that. We'll, we're gonna next week. We're gonna look at God's holiness. So we'll we'll review some of this, and then the week after that, we're gonna talk about God is loving. But I wanted in this message for you to understand that God is both these things. He's hard to explain. Because you ultimately have to experience Him. You can know Him today, but you'll never fully know Him until you walk with Him and grow in Him. Ultimately, we need to submit our lives to a God who is large and in charge, but is close and caring. You can trust Him with what you're going through. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the I Am. Okay, let's go to Him. Father, we come... I know this, this is mind-boggling stuff. We're looking uh, not through a microscope. We're not looking through a telescope. We're, we're looking at your very character, your very nature, and it blows us away. Father, I pray that tomorrow we won't just put away our, our, our knowledge of you like we put away our notes. I pray tomorrow we will take hold of who you are and walk with you and trust you to see us through the week, to live with integrity, to say no, to sin, to say yes, to showing your love to one another and to lost people. Lord, I pray that we will know more of you by next Sunday for having walked with the I am who I am. Lift our thoughts of you, because in doing so, we're able to better understand ourselves and we're able to look forward with hope to the future. We pray these things in the name of the I Am God, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good stuff. There's so much here. We'll tackle God's holiness and review a little bit next week. 